Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Point and Click Radio. I'm Bob Lawton. I'm Jim Hyde. And I'm Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk. This is the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and internet news. And for the first time in at least over a month, I think, a couple of months, the three of us are actually here together in the virtual studio. Yeah. <laughs> Bob and Ukiah, Toby and I on uh, on the coast, zooming in together, and uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have a gang together. Yes, the gang's together, and it's a real radio show right here. It's a real radio show. On the live right. airwaves, yes. Indeed. And we have a gold grab bag of things to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about a big announcement from Microsoft regarding its Bing search engine. Have you heard of it? Well, yeah, most people use Google. But um, Microsoft made a big announcement yesterday that they hope will take some of the uh, search traffic away from Google and also kind of uh, add a whole new dimension to searching on the web and finding information and and and, and consuming information on the internet. Um, and we've got a couple of other news items to take care of. And in the second part of the show, we'll, uh, we'll open up the phone lines and take your calls and questions. But first, we have our tip of the week segment, and that comes from our own Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk, and it deals with documentation, manuals, right? Manuals. Finding manuals for free online. Uh, and I think everybody finds themselves in a pickle every now and then. You can't find the manual for something. You need it. You have to figure out how to clean something, fix something, take it apart, whatever. Um, and it's gone. Also, a lot of things ship now with no manual. Yeah. They come with a piece of paper with a QR code, and that's how you find the manual. And if you've lost the QR code, you've essentially lost the manual. Uh, the first thing I say is when I get things now... Um, uh, if they come with a, just a piece of paper with a QR code, I immediately scan the QR code and download the manual. And yes, I have a manuals folder. I'm so impressed. <laughs> um, and I, so I, I keep them all there. And inevitably, when you download these things, they do not have a name that makes any sense at all. Oh, jeez. It's, it's V900-300.pdf. And so I rename them so they know what the thing is that the manual is for. There's QR codes in those little boxes. Of yeah, little weird-looking boxes. Looking things yeah, that you, you see. put your phone yeah. and you point your... your, your You've seen forever out. on your groceries. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> um, well, those are barcodes. But yeah. they're similar to barcodes, but they're squares, and they have, they, um, they have sort of squiggly lines inside of them. And if you use your phone, you have a little QR reader. Um, iPhones have that... It, it, an, it, and just installed by default. Yeah. I don't know about Android devices. Probably have the same. Uh, well, a lot of a lot of restaurants had QR codes in place of their menus. If you went, probably more people have seen them on menus during COVID. You know, or, or when people started going back into restaurants, they did away with the paper menus. Commonly now, with the smaller items, um, you know, your refrigerator is going to come with a manual, but smaller items, smaller electronics, or what have you will come with a just a sheet that says scan this QR code and get the manual. Right. Um, so I, I do that right away and I save it. But frequently you find yourself without the manual and there are many um, reliable resources online that you can use uh, to download a manual for free. And the first thing I want to say is don't pay. Uh, mm. it, you know, there are lots of resources for finding them for free, so don't um, don't be taken in by uh, websites that want to get you to pay them 
for that information. You should be able to find it for free. Also, make sure that you are dealing with a reputable site because some of these sites, some sites could be just trying to scrape your information. If they're asking for too much, be very, very careful. Or even the kind of virus vectors. Yeah, they want to download something onto your computer yeah. um, that has spyware in it or what have you. Um, so what are some ones we should, we should trust? So the first thing you're going to need is the make of your item and the model number. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you need to give, the, give whatever search you're using as much information as possible. You know, small things usually have it on the back. Right. Uh, larger things, they usually don't want to hide it from you. It's inside the door or on the side. Or if you can't find it, do a search for that online, saying, here's my um, you know, Frigidaire 300, whatever. Put that into your, where's, the, where's my model number? Where's my serial number, oh, et cetera? Oh, yeah. Put that on, online, and it'll tell you. I, I have never failed. If I can't find it, I go online. I ask Google or Bing, and I am pointed in the direction of finding it. I'll find a video that shows me. I'll find an illustration that shows me. So that's the, the first. You want to have as much pos information as possible going in to, um, to, to find the manual you need. So obviously, Google is the first line of defense. And, and frequently, what you want to do is get to the manufacturer's website. That is the first place to try. And you can bracket the words manufacturer's website before you put in your make and model number and that will narrow down the search to manufacturer's websites so that's a good way to keep yourself from ending up on some nefarious site so if you put the actual url of the manufacturer's website in square brackets and then put the the model you're looking for or the item like refrigerator that you're looking for it'll, yep. it'll restrict it to the manufacturer's yes website. you do a bracketed the manufacturer's website bracketed device name and then put in you know say instructional met instructional manual and that will limit it to uh the, the website and does that work in most search search engines it works on google Oh, okay. That's the only place that I've tried it. Uh, I I know that it works with Google. I don't know about any place else. Because this is um, this is great new information for me. I always used to put in site s i t e and then a colon, and then the just the um, the base URL, not with www or anything. Just you know, like apple.com yeah, sure. or whirlpool.com, and then like the model or or the type of thing I was looking for. That works. Yeah. yeah, and then you put in instruction manual. So further narrow that down, you'll you increase the filtering. Yeah, and hopefully it will take you right to that manual. Um, so you then you end up on the manufacturer's site. And you don't have to go through any unofficial channels. So that's always the first. That's usually the first try because that'll get you the official um, manual, the easy, you know, the fastest. Then there's the Internet Archive. And the Internet yeah. Archive has a manual library. Wow. Yeah. So um, both of you can wax poetic about archive.org. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is a, um, I don't even, what's the best way to describe? It's, it's, the, it's Alexandria for the Internet. Yes, yes, <laughs> the great library. The great, giant, columned, regal structure in cyberspace at, at, the, at the address archive.org. They're based in San Francisco. They're headquartered in San Francisco. And they are an incredible repository of books, magazines, audio recordings, 
uh, video clips, movies. Um, if if you if you want to just destroy an afternoon. Uh, go to archive.org, the Wayback Machine, where you can go and travel back in time and look and see what the KZYX website looked like in 1997. Um, archive.org is this fantastic, amazing, worldwide archive of all things human. <laughs> Jim, <laughs> and it has a lot of manuals, too, so yes. <laughs> Jim, you can, even, you can even see what the point-and-click radio web page looked like back in 1997 yes. we're on there in living color we absolutely are it's a fascinating rab rabbit hole to oh. to go down uh with you can waste untold hours looking uh back at stuff uh, but if you go to archive.org slash details slash manuals you will get to a uh it's like three million <laughs> results um and uh, I think there are over 500,000 manuals there, um, and then you need to start filtering down. You know, it's 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 not as you know Google will really narrow things down quickly for you, but you can start to, uh, and if you don't have your model number, you can filter by year. Um, you can flip through. So once you find the manual that you want, you can flip through the full text. You can see the uh, the contents across different views, and sometimes it will read it aloud for you. Oh. Um, depending on the manual, um, and you can download them in a variety of, of formats. That's a great. Um, that's a great option. There's also manuals online, which I have and I've ended up there uh, any number of times. It's manualsonline.com. Uh, um, uh, it has lots of categories. It divides its over 700,000 manuals into 20 main categories that are then broken down into the device types. Uh, if you know what brand you're looking for, you can also tailor your search. Um, if you prefer to use your model number, you just type it into the search bar. Uh, once you find a manual, you can preview it on the site. You can open it as a PDF or you can print it. All, all of those things, you know, there's button buttons to click and let you do all that um there's also uh, manuals oh. toby the um, manuals online that's like an open source or a, a, a community type project it's it's all free that's, manuals i believe yeah. yeah it's all free and i think that it's uh i think it's open source i think any, any number of people are contributing to those uh to those manuals um there's also manuals lib or lib lib and manuals manuals lib dot com. Um, they have over four million free manuals there, all converted already into PDF. Um, they try to um, they try to guide you based on brands rather than categories. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they give you all the standard options: read it online, download, or print. You can also keep a manual library there on their site and bookmark oh. specific pages after you've made an account. And the account is free. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. That's very cool. You can also down, there's also a manuals lib app. So oh, you can wow. create a library and then they're in the app. For your phone or your Yeah. Phone and so if you want to have something on hand in case you need to refer to the <laughs> manuals that you frequently refer to, you can keep it in the app. Yeah. 
those t to me are the best options. I've used those all over time. Um, you know, some of my older technology, I'll find it in one place and not another, but all of these, manualslive.com, manualsonline.com, uh, the Internet Archive for manuals. That's archive.org. Yeah, those three, I would say, are the most, are have a huge number of manuals there that you can find. And they are trustworthy. They are yeah. to be trusted with your information, what limited information they may ask for. Uh, I think only actually manualslide.com will ask you for any information, and that's if you want to create a, a an account. Your own, your own library. All the, they're there. all free. Um, and just be careful when you're surfing for manuals because it is a, a way for um, – you know, somebody dastardly to download some, you know, spyware onto your computer right. or scrape information, et cetera. Yeah, because... You can also start with the manufacturer's website if yeah. they make it reasonably easy to find. Yeah. We had an incident uh, just in the last uh, week here with... Um, the last couple of weeks with a weather station um, that, that died during the storms. And um, I was having a heck of a time getting it, getting a replacement hooked up. And... The, this particular company that makes the weather station made it unbelievably painful to find the manual on their own website. So I found it through one of these other sites. And um, it's just a great, it's a great thing to know, to have an arrow to have in your troubleshooting quiver, to know that for just about anything that has been manufactured in recent history, <laughs> there's a manual online for it in in pdf form i think bob were you about to i think i interrupted you oh no um um it's funny because the last time i had to go look a manual up online is uh, was for my weather station too because the outside uh, <laughs> the outside send, sender wasn't wasn't uh connecting for some reason i changed the batteries and everything and i had to go through the whole procedure <laughs> of taking everything out and letting it all cool down and and you know just go down to right. dead and then it would all came back and it worked but um I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if we have the same brand because their site was a little bit obscure the other okay. thing is a lot of times uh companies will discontinue a product and not make the manual available you know sure. they'll, they'll just somebody some webmaster will come in and just delete the page and the link to the manual and everything and yeah. that's when these online sites are really handy but i, I just wanted to say this couple of examples uh, that come to mind first of all you open your refrigerator and you want to know does this button turn the ice maker on or does it turn it off you know <laughs> yeah, right. and a lot of times you can just go to youtube and find the answer or that's what i was going to say next <laughs> yeah and then the other thing is something like a digital synthesizer you practically have to have the manual there on a music stand even to just to get the thing to work you know those are things that are really really manual intensive and i know Brands like Roland are just, they carry every manual for everything they've ever manufactured. And if you buy, like, buy a used synth or something like that, companies like that are really good about providing the And, and digital cameras are another great yes. example. They always come with kind of those, those, those manuals that have like five different languages in them. 
because it's one printed book that they use for yes. the entire world. And the instructions are not that great to begin with. And the type is small. <laughs> and if you've got my eyeballs, they're not fun to be kind of trying to figure out the menus on a digital camera while you first find the language that you need and then second find the page. And I find it just nice to have the manual in PDF form on a bigger screen. Just to have it on a computer screen or even my iPad is still bigger than the little, you know, four by five books that they that that that, that are in the box. So even if you have the manual, if it's a thick manual for a complex complex product and maybe the type is a little bit small for your eyesight, um, having a PDF copy of it that you can search for, and when the company is smart, they even put links within the PDF, so sure. the table of contents, the is the, the, like the table yeah. of contents will lead you to the page that you want, or the index will lead you to the page. So it can be a nice thing, even if you have the printed book in front of you, to go and grab the online version um, for all of those different reasons. And so a, lot, a lot of times, uh, yeah, let me, one more thing, a lot of times you can just download the manual in your language of choice, like English, instead of 25 languages all in one publication. So that's also handy. True. And, and you can zoom in and if you're um, in a program like Adobe Acrobat, you can print the large section of just the information you want to know on your printer and have it in big type and everything and just have it there for reference. Yep. So my last parting uh, tidbit that uh, Bob just uh, uh, mentioned is that sometimes you don't need the manual. It happened to me today. I needed to take apart a fan. I needed to clean it to get it ready for next summer. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to take it apart. Um, and instead of searching for the manual, I went to YouTube and put in the uh, make and model of the fan and immediately... Oh, and added uh, cleaning, the word mm -hmm. cleaning, mm -hmm. and immediately found a video that showed me exactly what I needed to know. So YouTube is also another great resource. And maybe you don't even need the manual. Do you need to change the water filter in your fridge or, you know, any of a thousand things? Go to YouTube. Someone there, many someones more than likely, are going to show you exactly what you need to know. It's true. Yeah. The Humble Manual. Elevated and given new respect here on Point and Click Radio. Thanks to Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk. Thanks, Toby. Good stuff. Thanks, Toby. Have a good show, gentlemen. Thank yes, you. Indeed. Thank you. This is Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX. With yours truly, Bill, Hi Bill Hyde. That's my brother. Wow. Yours yeah. truly, Jim Hyde. <laughs> he might be listening. <laughs> he might, I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> and Bob Rotten in Ukiah and Toby Molina at the point-and-click research desk. And um, we're going to talk about search engines here for a minute because they are in the news today. Um, what was the last time you said, oh, I need to look for something. I'm going to go bing that. <laughs> Probably never, right? <laughs> Probably not bing. I might duck it. Has become I might verb. duck it. <laughs> I'm going to Google. Go I'm going to Google that, or duck it maybe, for DuckDuckGo. Yeah. Um, but most people don't really think about the Microsoft search engine called Bing at Bing.com. Um, it's surprising what a huge share of the market Bing does have under the hood, because um, a lot of Windows uh, devices 
have Bing set up as the default search engine, and a lot of people don't bother to change that. And then Microsoft has uh, relationships with other companies. If you do a search for anything using your Alexa smart speaker, those search results are coming from Bing, not Google, but from Bing. Um, if you do a search on DuckDuckGo, a lot of the search results that you get are coming from Bing. So um, Bing is kind of not really the search engine that comes to people's, uh, the tip of their tongues when they think about searching, but um, it has a surprising presence in the, uh, in, the, in the internet landscape. Well, Microsoft is determined to increase that landscape, its profile in that landscape, by introducing um, a, a rolling out a new improved version of Bing that uses what we've been talking about so much on the show lately and what the world has been talking about so much lately, artificial intelligence. Uh, we've talked about uh, programs or tools like chat GPT, uh, those that, that, that um, AI from OpenAI that you can type phrases into and it will generate anything from a poem to a list of instructions to uh, uh, a, a, an essay, a story. Um, there's been a lot of controversy about it, a lot of discussion of the promise and the pitfalls of it. Um, and uh, we had a great interview last month with our friend Morton Rand Hendrickson to talk about this uh, form of artificial intelligence. It is very artificial. There's no intelligence in it. It's really a big massive compilation of data with some amazing software algorithms tied to it. But um, in a lot of ways, aspects of it are, um, are, are here to stay. They're, they, they're, they're the, not only the future, but also the present, um, like it or not. And Microsoft is building the open AI technology into Bing so that you can do more um, conversational searches and get results that are more complete rather than a big list of links. When you do a search on pretty much any search engine, including the Bing of today, you get a whole bunch of, you get a bunch of ads, but you also get a bunch of links to websites. And the search engine ranks those links according to a whole lot of criteria, how popular the website is, how reputable the website is, how much traffic it gets, um, and a whole lot of other things. And then it's up to you, the searcher, to go and look and click through various links and, and in search of the information that you're really looking for. Well, the Microsoft's vision for the future of search using AI works differently. Rather than just giving you that whole big list of links, it gives you a paragraph or two or three or four of what you are uh, summarizing, what you look for, or uh, what you're searching for. Um, they have some examples. If you go to Bing.com, there are some examples that you can uh, that you can try, where um, you can type uh, you can type in a phrase like, "I need to throw a dinner party for six people who are vegetarian." Can you suggest a three-course menu with a chocolate dessert? And when you click that, then it gives you a list of the menu, um, which you can then click through and look at the recipes for, 
and it actually sounds like a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice yeah, uh, restaurant. Yeah, I'm already uh, yeah. Are getting a little hungry here. Yeah, wild mushroom tartlets with onion sauce. Oh, and man. Vegan butternut squash and a chocolate lava cake. I mean, sign me up, man. So, the, Jim, the dinner you just described, if you used an ordinary search engine that was looking out, looking for instances of that text occurring in pages, it would search far and wide to find an instance, a page that had that exact phrase, right? Or, or, or a reasonable something close, something close yeah. to that phrase. But with the AI, it, it imagines or searches through the the uh, the data uh, heaps that they have, where they're able to draw conclusions from f- from um, results. All the text that has been fed into the AI. Yeah. Yeah, it analyzes it and parses it and puts it together in in examples and builds it into a, um, oh, God, what do they call it? We were just talking about that a while ago. Because, you know, it takes, it takes um, football fields full of uh, servers and computers to crunch all the stuff, but then they can create the algorithms from the results, and those can go on your smartphone. And, yeah. and work fast because they've already processed everything. But that sounds great. I'm going to try that when I get home. I'll, I'll throw a dinner party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, us. You guys invited. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely vegetarian and chocolate desserts. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I know someone who would rock that dessert, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but is this working right now on Bing? Is it implemented or is this a beta version that they have? There's a wait list. And um, you can go to Bing.com and try six or eight sample queries um, that will give you, and one of them is that three-course menu with a chocolate dessert for your vegetarian dinner party. Okay. And, um, and then there's a wait list that you can sign up for. As you can imagine, this sort of thing, as you mentioned, Bob, uses racks and racks of servers and a lot of computing power, and so they are rolling it out as they scale it up and make sure that the servers don't get you know overwhelmed and that uh, the, the the service doesn't slow to a crawl and that they um uh, also debug it to make sure that it's accurate and that is one of the things uh, to microsoft's credit they give you the big disclaimer that this stuff might not be entirely accurate and we talked about that in our interview with morton that ais are very good at bsing yeah <laughs> yeah exactly the phrase that he used um, they sound like they, they can write authoritative sounding text but that might not necessarily be right in a lot of cases when you use chat gpt it isn't right um and so microsoft has done a couple of uh, things that i think are kind of kind of good um one is um having a little thumbs up and thumbs down next to it that you can you know you can say like yeah no that's that's wrong i would never you know put uh um you know sriracha sauce on my chocolate lava cake <laughs> whatever they're you know whatever the, whatever the ai recommended um and the other is that they list the sources for the recipes. Um, that's one of the big concerns that people have had with things like chat GPT, where you just tell it to that, to, to give me a menu or write an essay. It doesn't create any kind of bibliography. It doesn't tell you where that information came from. And the Bing results have a little number, almost like a little footnote number, next to various things in the results that you can then click through and go and then go to a particular web page um and then so if you want to do kind of the the searching the old-fashioned way where you're looking at a list of links you can do that too um it's kind of cool 
I like that. I like the little footnote numbers or the reference numbers because then you can actually go to the source and maybe do a little more exploration on your own. But uh, that really gives you a a, a big uh, leg up on on finding that information, you know. Yeah. And especially um, if you're trying to do serious uh, academic research, because <laughs> there's a lot of controversy over people using chat GPT and stuff like that for doing research, because it doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's not, f- uh, they don't give references and all that kind of stuff that, that yeah. you're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, Google... Everyone kind of, there have been many articles that, you know, Microsoft was going to announce this yesterday at a big event, and so it was no big secret for a lot of people. So on Monday, (laughs) the day before, Google announced, hey, we've got an AI too that we're going to be doing. Oh, no. (laughs) So um, this is not going to be just a Bing thing. (laughs) You're going to see some variation of it on Google as well. Um, Google is frankly, a little bit scared of losing the search engine uh, slice of the, the big slice of the search engine pie that it has because every single Google search results page has lots and lots of ads. And that's where Google makes a lot of their money. So um, you can bet that they are paying close attention to this. They're going to answer with an AI of their own. And, um, and I predict that it's going to become a useful tool for searching. It's not going to replace the um, quote-unquote old-fashioned search. The classic. I just want a list of links and I'm going to go and look myself and I'm going to decide which ones are important to me um, and I'm going to go and click through each one and make tons of tabs in my browser and all the rest. Um, but I can see myself using this sometimes. So um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, more ways exist. The more ways you have to try to find the needles in the head haystacks that is the internet um the better you know now i'm on the bing page and it says introducing the new bing ask real questions get complete answers learn more is that where you go if you want to try to try it out and enroll because the rest of the rest of the page just looks like a regular search engine yeah exactly yeah the the rest of it yeah you have to go go to bing.com and then click the learn more to to learn about it to try it out, and here's you know kind of a lame thing: you have to um, you have to sign in. You have to have an, a Microsoft account, and um, if you don't, they will make you create one. Okay, um, and that's either to get a free email address at Outlook.com or a Hotmail email uh, address, or you can use an email address that you already have, but. They're gonna make you create an account to try it out, or you can and, do like we, you can do like we talked about on the last show. And what was the thing in in, uh, in Apple's? Yes, you can use the hide my email. hide my email. Yeah, perfect chance to use hide my email or one of the other alternatives for email forwarding. Completely, and you know, I think like well, okay, all right, I guess that's you know they're they're just they're they're they're, they're dangling this carrot on the stick they're dangling this dog biscuit in front of your nose of hey want to try out this new amazing you know variation of the search engine well create an account with us first so we can spam you and i yeah that's all right a little bit lame but um well you can just create a a spam bucket you know an email address that isn't your main one to just give it a try and if you like it then you know you may want to very very well um you may want very well to connect it to your uh 
Jim, to be, to be fair, um, to really get the benefit out of Google, you really need to have a Google account. You know, that's true too. If you're using right. Go, if you're using Google right. Maps and you want it to remember your searches for your convenience or sure. download maps of places you're going to, so you can use them when you're offline and have no internet connection, it'll it'll store the map locally on your uh, your portable device. And there's a lot of other things that you can only really use, like Gmail. Of course, you have to have uh, you know you have to identify yourself and get an account. So that's a great point. That's a great point. Apple too. If you want to get all of the benefits out of iCloud and have your bookmarks synchronized on all the different devices that you might have, then you've got to be signed into iCloud. So you're right. It's you know, it's just it's just uh, the way these things work. Yeah, but I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to sign up. I'll, I'll give them a. Uh, a weird email address. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, there's another cool thing that they introduced at the same time yesterday, and that is a new version of the, and I'm not sure if this is in beta or if it's actually available yet. I think it's probably still in its kind of waitlist kind of mode. A new version of Microsoft's web browser, which is called Edge. And this is yet another one of those, you know, um, you know, David and Goliath things, although it's hard to imagine calling Microsoft to David against Google. I don't know. <laughs> but when you compare it against Google and Chrome, then I guess that's kind of, maybe kind of, kind of stands up. Um, but this is another case where, like, how many people use the Edge browser? Raise your hands. Right? You can um, see a whole lot of our listeners' hands goes up. It comes, it, it comes bundled with the Windows when you buy a new Windows computer, as far as I can remember. Right. And it's available for the Mac, and it's available for the for the um, like iOS and Android devices from the various you know app stores and Google Play stores. But most everybody uses either Chrome, or they use Apple Safari, or maybe they use the other browsers, some of which we really like, like Brave or Firefox or Opera. Um, so Edge is just kind of out there on the edge, <laughs> yeah. but, but there's a new AI version of edge coming out that has a very cool feature a bunch of cool features one of them is a panel along the right side of the browser window that lets you access this ai bing and another is a feature that says summarize this page so say you're reading uh, you know you've got a medical report uh, med you know a medical study maybe you're researching an illness or um, or you're just reading some complicated scientific article or whatever it might be or it's just a, a long article in a magazine like the New Yorker you can choose this summarize this page command and the AI will distill that article or whatever's in your web page down to a bunch of bullet points that give you the high level points in the article and i'm really anxious to try that out and see how that works i've heard of that that's existed in some in some software hasn't it to, to, to do an abstract or a summary but it's great great to have yeah. it in a browser especially if you're just looking for um the gist of something on a page and it's got a lot of content in it and you just you know you kind of want to find the the best source. Hey, yeah. I have a, I have another instance of doing browsing searching that I've been trying to figure out. I've been trying to crack the code on this one. Um, say you ask a, a fairly common question, like about something like gardening. You know, what's the best way to compost my orange peels? You know, or something like that. Right. And you get all these, um, especially like in DuckDuckGo, you go, you get a little little capsule preview of what the actual content is. 
and you'll find five or six sites where they're using different they're different sites and they're using absolutely identical language so somebody's copying yeah. somebody else somebody's cloning or stealing somebody else's text or or authorship and yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if there's any way to find out who the original source is or to to read out the uh, the clones and the copies because i've seen, have you ever seen that have you ever noticed I've that? Seen that i've seen that many times yeah especially if i'm like a troubleshooting a mac problem like i have a problem with an app final cut pro just just don't want doesn't start it just consistently crashes yeah and if i search for that it looks like the first five or so um, websites that I get are kind of like honey bucket yeah. websites that are just trying to grab me so that they can put a bunch of ads and collect their affiliate fees and frustrate me because the information that I'm looking for wasn't really there. And oftentimes, you're right, the information will be exactly the same. Identical. close to the same. And I think there's probably a whole dark underbelly of yes. the web that is just designed to do that. Yeah, people are throwing up these pages like they're flypaper, you know, and just trying to exactly. get, get you to see it. But you can see, if you see that list of links that the search engine uh, returns, every single extracted, uh, you know, little capsule paragraph is the text is absolutely identical. So people are going around cloning these pages, maybe from legitimate sites on, on composting or, you know, gardening or something like yeah. that, and just throwing up pages just to get the traffic. So maybe the AI-driven search will help. Maybe I hope so. Kind of, you know, um, separate that wheat from the chaff and give you more legitimate instructions well especially yeah. especially if they can look at the whole site and see that the whole site is just a big honeypot with all these pages they throw up just to get just to get right. people to come to the site rather than a site that's got some genuine variety of content in it you know yeah and it's going to be interesting to see as all of this becomes more um as the wait list kind of dwindles and it's it's available to everybody what kinds of privacy issues there might be? You know, are there more? Are there additional privacy concerns about about this? Um, maybe there are. Maybe there aren't. Maybe there aren't because if the website is giving you this distilled information, then maybe you're not going to a bunch of other websites where each one would be planting cookies and browse and, and beacons on your browser, and 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 so it's 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 really kind of the very early days of a whole new shift in the way we access information on the internet i think over the in the in the year to come um you're going to hear a lot more about ai and its role in search and its role in surfacing information that's out there um some of it is going to be good some of it is not going to be good um because this is new technology and it's not perfect yet by any stretch and it's going to be up to us people who uh, people <laughs> as opposed to algorithms who uh who look at what they tell us what these ais tell us um with a little bit of a skeptical eye and at least go back and, and, and dig underneath the surface and make sure, is this really accurate? Where What's the source of this information? Um, especially if you're searching for things that are more consequential than lava, chocolate, 
lot of cake recipes. Um, you know, how should this certain illness be treated, or you know, what's the uh, what's the best way to cure my dog's upset stomach or things like that. You know, it's yeah. uh, these, these these AIs are becoming very uh, are, are, we're we're elevating them to positions of great responsibility <laughs> in, uh, in in giving us guidance, and um, that is both promising and a little bit scary yeah i think if done right it can it can give really promising results um i think it's especially um especially it's coming along especially well in the stuff that you're really familiar with what is it called the um you know when you're generative the generative yes yeah yeah yeah. can you really give a text prompt to a generative uh application that will create music is that real does that really work it is on its way it is on there are already some uh sites um in the works um that are in kind of beta versions i've been playing one with one called boomy boomy boomy.com um well, can the we, results are often really bad i, I mean, mean can you say i want to hear a hard day's night as arranged by mozart as a piano concerto i mean will it come uh, up with something <laughs> Not yet. Okay. And that's, you know, and that's one of the big, huge things because that right there, the lawyers for Apple, and not Apple, but Apple, yes, <laughs> would be on them like a tick so fast. That's that, um, true. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting about when it comes to music because the music industry, unlike artists, like independent artists or photographers, where this stuff is being just scraped. Oh, yeah. It, AIs, and you can generate an image or a photograph in the style of Stephen Shore or whoever it might be. Right. That's not quite the case in the in the world of commercial music. Just try to generate, you know, give me a version of the national anthem in the style of Beyonce, and well, Beyonce didn't write the national anthem, so I don't know. I don't know. But her voice, her vocal stylings. It's, that is going to be a fascinating area of legal. Um, yes, because uh, her voice is out know. there. His vo- her voice is out there in in, exactly. in, in petabytes of data. You know, <laughs> so yep, it's, all, it's yeah. there, and yeah. you know it's been uh, it's been exposed as everything else is out on the web. But that, that I mean that's really fascinating to me. See, I'm thinking if you had um, a melody that was in the public domain, the the copyright laws wouldn't apply to it. But then, could you say you know arrange 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 uh, a Stephen Foster song and make it sound like it's performed by the Beatles. You know, I mean, is John Lennon's voice itself copyrighted? Right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know either. I'd want to hear it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 going to be fascinating. Yeah. It's going to be. You know, and already there are some lawsuits around um, degenerative AI imaging program there are some artists who are suing one of the big stock agency i think it's getty yeah. is suing one of them well um, getty owns every image in the world basically <laughs> yeah exactly um and there's some independent artists that have a class action suit uh, against one of the uh one of the um generative ai uh, companies so um and there and i think there's a lawsuit pending regarding um some of the software the code generating that's the other thing that some of these things can do is actually write program code and some programmers have realized that wow you're using my program you're using my code in your in your output from your ai so that is one of the areas that we're that 
is, to, is something to watch in the year or probably years ahead, the whole legal ramifications of this stuff, because all of these AIs are generating quote unquote new copy or content, but all of that stuff is based on content that people have created and that yeah, they, published they, on the internet and have not necessarily granted companies permission to say, hey, take what I created and just ingest it so that you can spit it out in a different form. Well, that's it, because the, the AIs have not had a single original thought. They're just scraping all this. <laughs> that these, is exactly these, right. These glaciers, glacier-sized piles of data that are out there. Hey, we've got a call coming in. Let's, uh, oh, cool. let's go to the phones and talk all to right. our listeners and see what they're up to. Hi, caller, you're on the air. Hi, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Is this a call-in uh, Yes, program? yes, it yes, is. You're on the air. You're on the air on Point and Click Radio, the computer show. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, so I have the unenviable uh, volunteer job of uh, supporting a small, uh, the fire department's computer system. Ah. And my clients uh, use either Dropbox or... Uh, what's the name of the Google product? Google Drive. OneDrive. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, well, I think it's Google Docs. Google Drive. Google something. Oh, Google, anyway, yeah. And, and here's the question I have. Uh, how do I back those up? Because right now I'm backing up all our computers onto a NAS drive. Good. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, I mean, what if somebody encrypts or downloads malware into one of my client's computers and encrypts it and encrypts the stuff on Dropbox or those other cloud storage devices. I mean, do I need backups for those? And how would I do those? I don't think you need backups for Dropbox because it all originates on the local machines and okay. then gets moved over to Dropbox as a, like an off-site storage. So in a way, the Dropbox is your backup. Dropbox just kind of mirrors whatever is on the drive or drives of whoever created it or whatever you've copied, what that person has copied over to it. So it, it, it exists locally. You can, you can, there's an option in Dropbox where you can tell it, hey, just store this on the cloud, which is nice if you have a, you know, a couple of big files, move video files or something you want to kind of have out there, but you don't want them taking up space on your, on your machine. But, but yeah, right. Bob's exactly right. The whole intent of Dropbox is to be a um, kind of a, a cloud um, mirror uh, of whatever is stored locally. So uh, there's an option to set it so that it keeps both. Yes. So it's not a, a, a means of adding ex, um, extra storage uh, by downloading, offloading stuff off of your computer the it can be. So. Oh yeah, it can it be can because be. you can you can uh, upload it to Dropbox and then delete the local copy and like Jim said, you know, free up extra space on your local storage. But um, if okay, you so if, if you install Dropbox as an application on a Mac or a PC, um, it creates mm -hmm. a folder that is basically a mirror of what's up on the cloud version. But the files exist in both locations simultaneously. So if you run a backup of the hard drive on the local machine, it's going to back up all those files that are in the Dropbox folder too. So 
but I have to go through my client's computers to make sure that it's actually doing the yes. mirroring. Yes, that would be a good yeah. idea. Okay. Yeah, the first, yeah, okay. you definitely and want to see how they're using Dropbox now. And do you, do you know? And that would be the same with OneDrive? Um, I'm not sure. OneDrive yeah. is a Microsoft product, isn't it? And then Google Drive right. is uh, the right. Google product. Now, do you know if um, this organization you're helping is, um, are they using the free local uh, per, per user version of Dropbox, or do they have a paid-for Dropbox account for the whole for the whole office. I don't know. I mean, this is the, you know, Anderson Valley Fire Department. Uh, right. And the Community Services District. I'll have to go ask. And I think some of the users use Dropbox and some of them use the Google product, which is Google mm. Drive or something. See that? So I'll have to re research that. Yeah, and well. if, if especially if uh, each person is using their own individual Dropbox uh, account on their own PC in their name, uh -huh. and you've got a bunch of random... I mean that's uh, that the problem with that is it, it doesn't have a consistency across the organization. It might be better exactly. to just have have a basic paid for uh, Dropbox for the whole institution that everybody shares access to. That would make your job a whole lot easier, I think. Right. I, totally agree. Is, I think the first step the is department uses one, the Google uh, product, and the general manager and the secretary use Dropbox. So and I think they're kind of wedded to their uh, respective things, but that's all right. That's just a little more. Well, you could work. You could work around that. I mean, especially if it's those two key right. people that want the Dropbox. It's only five computers, so we're. Yeah. We're, it's all above my pay grade for sure. But <laughs> well, I think you know, ideally, you'd be able to enforce some kind of a standard standardization across those five computers or those five people and say, okay. Yeah, because the sloppiest, the, the riskiest thing is that you can have, you know, multiple versions of an important document floating around that one person has the version they created in February and then another person updated in March and they've got theirs on Dropbox and someone else updated it in April and they've got theirs on OneDrive. Um, and you can, you know, it really can make things confusing. So in the ideal world... If you can get that ideal world, <laughs> you can get those five people together and say, okay, we need to really kind of, you know, standardize on something. Um, and I'll be using That's the same my thing. challenge. Well, at the, least, well what, at, the least, at the least create a local shared network folder for those important documents. And then you can just take the responsibility to shift them over to Google or, or, or whatever cloud storage you want and also make sure that the automatic backup is backing that up you just have to pick somebody to be the um the keeper of the folder and then share it out on the network and and then train everybody to work off that copy rather than a local copy on their own machine yeah yeah um and i think in this case i'm going to try to adapt my work style to them rather than them <laughs> my that's, a good, that's an excellent recommendation it's an excellent yeah. Strategy. <laughs> um, one more question. So, so my clients are saying, why do you need to back up our computers to the NAS drive? Because we use Dropbox. Um, what's the? I mean, do I not need to back up to the NAS drive, or or is it still necessary? As far as I'm concerned, you can never have too many backups. Yep. 
um, you know, because there's a here's a here's a scenario for you and for them. Okay, there's a fire and there's no internet access available, and you need to access some important files. Having them on a local drive enables you to access them. It should be both places, ideally. You know, yeah. if, if the office burns down, you've got the stuff on the cloud. If a backhoe goes through a fiber optic table, cable and you can't get to the cloud, then you've got the stuff on the local drive. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, no, good exactly. answer. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate Thanks for your, calling. Your wise time. Yeah, good luck. Good, good calling. That's a noble challenge you have taken on, so good luck to it. To you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Good Have luck. a nice evening, and Thank I you. appreciate your program. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Bye-bye. For Bye-bye. All right. And if anybody else wants to call, the phone is 895-2448, area code 707-895-2448. The studio lines here on KZYX with Bob and Jim. The bi-weekly computer show, Point and Click Radio. We've been talking about all kinds of cool stuff, from manuals to browsers to artificial intelligence. To um, One more thing I wanted to talk about. This just came up on my radar today, and it's a perfect complement to artificial intelligence. It's a new site, a new project to help shepherd the World Wide Web and the use of computers into a more community-oriented rather than corporate and, um, you know, company like Microsoft, Google, Apple, uh, Facebook, all that stuff. This is called the Collective Intelligence Project, and it's collective intelligence as opposed to artificial intelligence. And the website is called CIP.org. I haven't really studied that much, but it looks very interesting. If you're interested in the future of computers and how they apply to to our social fabric. This looks like it has a lot of um, uh, possibilities. They want to um, overcome the uh, dilemma of transformative technology and how it immediately gets used for basically making a few people a whole lot of money <laughs> and all the other things that go along with that. CIP.org, and they have a blog, and you can read about what they've been up to. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm interested in it. Effective, decentralized, and agentic decision-making across individuals and communities to produce best-case decisions for the collective. That sounds... <laughs> that sounds... Uh, I like that. Very future, very forward-looking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's, and one of the things they, they bring up, the whole idea mm-hmm. is who is technology actually for? And a lot of the technology comes um, out of strange use cases. A lot of the development, a lot of what went into creating Silicon Valley in the first place was creating um, smart devices for military use. You know, I mean, that's a lot of the stuff uh, had its birth as a way, you know, for defensive or offensive weaponry and and things like that and i mean there's certainly legitimate uses there but that means that the um the infrastructure is is slanted in a particular way that isn't necessarily going to uh benefit the whole of society when these uh technologies are rolled out to society at large you know what i mean it's just yeah. um, there's right. a whole lot of rethinking that needs to go into that to make it actually useful well i like what they say is uh um, what, what, what not only who is technology for and 
who does it does it and, and what is it who does it does it to yeah the impact that technology has on on people right hey we got a call let's go back okay. to the phones we have a little bit of time left in the show hi caller you're on the air turn your radio down i did thank you um i'm calling i just want to kind of go back to the issue just before the fire uh i guess fireman that was working on his computer stuff um a lot of music is based on people having mentors people that you know are inspired by the way people sing by the way the kind of compositions they make etc and so basically they're i mean i'm not saying we're artificial intelligence but we're basically using other bits and pieces of other people's music obviously not copying it but and so i just want to kind of throw that out um obviously i'm not i'm a little bit intimidated by the artificial intelligence music thing but um i just thought it might be interesting to think about the fact that we musicians tend to uh, use other people's stuff accidentally. oh absolutely well they say They're sometimes on purpose yeah and and not out of a sense of ripping off but as a sense of homage you know, in the jazz yeah, world, sure. you'll often hear right. soloists, you know, quote a solo from somebody else or, or, or quote a song in, as part of a solo. So um, that's that's totally true. Well, few people... It's one thing when a person does it as a... As a it's one thing for when a person does it and another thing when an AI does it. When an AI does it, yeah. Especially yeah. If when the lawyers get involved. <laughs> right, that way we have we can be sued directly, you know, whatever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just wanted to add that into the picture. No, and it's a good point because you learn music from other people like you learn the language that you speak from other people. You know, people that write books don't right. make up their own language normally. Some people right, do, sure, but, sure. but basically if you want to create, communicate ideas, you're using a language that has a lot of convention in it. And if you're going to play a style of music that has a lot of conventions, you know, that, that you learn from other people like mentors. and uh, Composing will send, will send students to look at previous composers to get ideas about what they did, how they did it, how they notated, etc. So it's like we are directly mentoring or using these people as mentors and then creating music that's relevant to them. Okay, we got to go. We're almost out of time. Thanks Thank for you. the call. Bye-bye. Thank you for the call. Great points. Right. Yes, indeed. Well, that hour went by fast, Jim. That was great. Yes, it did. I'd like to see an AI do a show like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, give me an hour of computer radio. <laughs> exactly. With two male co-hosts. Two male co-hosts and a female research desk. <laughs> That's right. All right. Um, we're out of here because we're about ready to get switched off by the main brain, by the artificial intelligence over the file <laughs> studio. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Good night, Bob. Good night, everybody. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.